Hello, welcome to Virtually Relevant, Episode 1. I'm Eric. I'm William. I'm Josh. And I'm Kevin. We're all with Houston VR, and this episode we'll be talking about Oculus Connect 6. Hey, William, what time is it? Well, according to Facebook, the time is now. <laughs> yeah, we heard that a lot over the couple of days we were at Connect. Uh, you know, it seemed like such a hopeful statement when they, they started off. I mean, uh, they were pushing uh, augmented reality and all their promotional materials. And we figured, ah, okay, the time is now when we actually get to figure out what on earth they're up to and, and see uh, a little bit of their strategy. Uh, I don't think that ended up being our final takeaway interpretation. What do you guys say? <laughs> yeah, no, it was a little bleaker than that, I'd say, at the uh, at the end of the two-day conference. Um, you know, it all kind of started off with that uh, initial mixer, which was the Here For Now mixer, um, which also was kind of like wrapping into that, uh, the time is now. And, and we they definitely leaned into that hard, um, which was... <laughs> to be clear, they had the time is now written along the front edge of every step of every staircase in the building running all the way around. I mean, it, or you probably couldn't walk in the building without seeing the time is now at least two or three hundred times. And not a clock in sight. And my favorite thing was uh, the banners during the presentation. If you read it straight down, it was <laughs> me is now out the time. Time now is time, time, the time that I'm now. <laughs> Nice. Honestly, I think that was a more fair representation, but I, I ended up giving it a, you know, a different interpretation after the the, the presentation, which is uh, the VR platform you've got is is the one you're going to have for a while. And so the, the time is now to, to buckle down and make use of that instead of waiting for some upcoming platform, which is a, a bit of a, a grimmer, more of a downer uh, takeaway than the, the more hopeful forward-looking one that we went in with i mean i think that's the takeaway that they were shooting for like the time is now don't wait jump in but what right. we kind of took away from that was hey like you know everyone's looking towards the next big thing and the new hardware and the thing that's going to be the headset that brings on mass adoption and, and they were basically coming out and saying yeah no this is this is it this is this is what you get so right they're saying don't don't right. keep waiting yeah, please no. please stop waiting don't keep waiting please yeah. everybody anybody that's <laughs> yeah. listening to right. this anybody that's not not listening to this stop waiting just start developing now i mean they're, they're one of their <laughs> biggest things was forward compatibility yeah. right saying things that are developed now are going to be developed right and c compatible with things coming out in the future yeah. And I mean, it's, it was, it was a strange conference. I, I've been to all six of the Oculus Connects and this, it just had a different tone to it. And maybe it was because the last of the founders had finally left. Um, but it just, uh, it was, it was kind of a, a downer and it felt a little half-hearted. It didn't seem like their hearts were really in it. And I wasn't sure how much of that was me, but, you know, talking to a lot of people that, that kind of seemed to be a universal takeaway from it. Yeah. Um, it was definitely, scarce uh compared to last year i mean I've, this is this will have been yeah. my fourth um and expo floor wise it was probably size wise about the same as as it's been in previous years they take up all of the multiple grand ballroom halls that they've got but uh la i mean just just even compare comparing it to connect five there were all these little indie booths where like sprint vector and um Several other devs, Penrose, Penrose Studios, yeah, uh, several yeah, other devs yeah. uh, were showing off their content, even though it had been released for a while. It wasn't particularly new, but it was it was something that 
was nice because there was, you know, you could get in quick, play the demo, talk to the developer. There was usually a developer there, not just some PR person. And uh, you could, you know, you could discuss various things. And so it, it really showed Oculus's support of their third-party devs and even the ones that they didn't necessarily um, fund. But this year, it was just a lot of open space made yeah there was just yeah. there's dead space on the floor yeah, dead space huge huge press boxes that were on the yeah. expo floor that took up you know space that could have been used otherwise it was just a weird weird feeling yeah and the demo hours were were shorter uh they, they reduced the number of demo hours they reduced the number of demo booths so i actually spent way more time standing in line uh unreasonably long lines this year than i have it was in interesting previous year. having a 30 so just, minute demo for uh the one the Medal of Honor game, but I mean, it, obviously, if you're only going to have you know six real demos that people are going to be standing in line for, I'm not, I'm, it doesn't make sense to me why you would give each person thirty minutes when you only dedicate you know eight or so booths and maybe an an extra couple that are only dedicated to, to press. Yeah. I mean, we did the math and they could run 128 people through that particular demo. And there were uh, over 3000 people, maybe 3,500 people in attendance. So, I mean, you get a sense of what the lines were like and kind of the level of disappointment. But, you know, a hundred million, over a hundred million has been spent in the Oculus walled garden store. So it, it, it's a stark contrast, yeah, right? No, I mean, I mean, they're, if, they're pushing if that. That much money has been spent yeah. in their walled garden and they didn't bring out the people that have pushed their store to those heights, uh, what's what's that message saying to the the mass populace? Well, I, I think this, I don't know, we'll get into it maybe a little bit in the wrap-up, but I, I get the sense that maybe this conference came together a little bit last minute. There were rumors going around that next year the, uh, the conference may actually get folded into a content track in F8 rather than being a distinct conference. And it's at least plausible to me that they were almost heading that direction and then changed their mind and kind of had to pull this together at the last minute because it felt like a rush job and it didn't really feel like their hearts were in it. But let's let's dive into the kind of the headline features, the things that were actually interesting announcements. And for me, by far, the, the top of that list is uh, Oculus Link. So, yeah, so I, William, you want to dive into what sure. that is? Um, I actually had a chance to talk to one of the... Uh, product team members. And so Oculus Link is essentially the ability, or it's a software update. It is not actually the, it is not actually an additional product. Um, technically, um, it is a software patch that comes out, I believe they said in November. Um, so very soon. And essentially, you'll be able to take any USB-C cable um, that supports the necessary bandwidth. Um, obviously, you know, Quality varies largely between manufacturers, but any USB-C cable that can support the bandwidth, which I got the impression are very few, um, and plug it into your computer and plug it into your Oculus Quest, and it essentially goes into a Oculus Rift um, emulation mode. It's not doing any actual emulation, but what it's doing is the computer is recognizing the Quest as a Rift. Now, that has some particular interesting... Um, things about that which we can get into um but the the big thing is like okay does this make my quest a viable desktop solution um is this you know 
is this the new future of the Oculus platform? Does this mean that the Rift S is is useless or um, if I bought a Rift S, I should return it and, and get an Oculus Quest? Um, no, <laughs> is, is kind of the short answer that I got. Um, there's always going to be trade-offs. Uh, the Oculus Link cable that they're going to be selling, for one, uh, is pretty much just your standard USB-C cable, but it is one of the only ones being manufactured that supports the bandwidth necessary and is the length that would make sense for a VR headset tether. Um, well, they went fiber optic with it to reduce the weight and the, the size, right? I believe so. so. I, I don't know if I, I personally didn't but I get mean, confirmation on that, but, but yeah, yeah. They, they, they basically said if the cable that is necessary existed, they wouldn't be manufacturing it themselves. Right. I mean, it can't be purely fiber optic, even if that is correct, because it's also charging. And so there's going to have to be a, a copper line running along with it for power. But, um, uh, I would be a little concerned if it if it is actually fiber optic because um, it's delicate. <laughs> if you if you kink it too tightly as you're winding it up, you could break it. But I am definitely a fan of trying to keep the cords as lightweight and thin as possible. I mean, I remember the first generation Vive cable, which was a, a total nightmare to deal with. Uh, I think everyone here that went to Connect got to try something on Link, right? Yeah, I know I did. Uh, Josh, did you get to try yeah, anything using the Link? Yes. Okay, Josh. What are you, what were your impressions on on the quality and usability? Well, I, on I that? think it's a great first step, right? I think it's it's a foray into um, what will invariably be a, a requisite for mobile platforms in the foreseeable future, right? If you're a, a hardware manufacturer moving into trying to be a completely wireless solution, which obviously is the the golden uh, you know, Shangri-La of, of VR, right? Com- being completely tethered free. Um, being able to tap into a, a high-powered uh, desktop or laptop on demand is definitely something that we need to have as an option moving forward. I mean, industry-wide. Because if we're going to move towards mass adoption and uh, a race to the bottom, which is what seems what the quest is doing, then we definitely need a, a way to still tap into the high power um, content that's being developed for the higher power headsets. So I, I really enjoy that they're, they're thinking about this and that they're, they went so far as to develop their own um, cable. I, I don't think it's a perfect solution. Well, they, they, they've been pretty open about the fact that there's trade-offs. There's going to be a little bit of additional lag, although for rotation, they're compensating that for that by doing a reprojection on the headset. But you will get some positional judder or positional latency. Um, that seemed pretty subtle to me when I was using it. I'm, I'm usually relatively um, sensitive to that, and but I, I also wasn't you know diving around and, and really pushing the limits on positional tracking. Uh it's really interesting because this is sort of a reversal for them. Uh, when they announced the quest, uh, there were a lot of questions about, hey, why why could this not, you know, optionally tether? And Carmack last year said, well, this was a, a big discussion internally, and we decided against primarily for platform confusion reasons. You know, the idea being, okay, I bought this on the desktop, and then I'm taking this with me. Why don't I have this game with me now? Or, you know, I got the the quest version of it, which is distinct from the Rift version of it, and that's that's kind of a technical nuance that's going to be 
pretty challenging for, for a lot of people to to grasp that there's two entirely different libraries with entirely different requirements and capabilities on the same headset. So it's interesting that they reversed course after the fact and landed on this. They, they landed on it kind of imperfectly because instead of having dedicated hardware, which could have actually made this a little bit smoother, they're, they're entirely trying to run this over USB-C and they had to do some compression and, and some you know clever bits with reprojection on the headset to make it work. I used it with Stormlands and I think one other title and the compression at least was not obvious to me and they, they were supposed to optimize it so that the, the center of the screen is crisp and the, the uh, periphery is, is more compressed but it, it didn't bother me. Did anyone else see a, a quality dip that bothered them? I noticed a bit of um, vignetting or something like that. Now, when I talked to one of the engineers, he said that that may have been the experience, which was Stormlands for me. Um, right. When I moved my head around quickly in any one way or the other, um, it was definitely a question of like, hey, what's going on here? I mean, is that something to do with the link? And, and after a, a bit of discussion, right. it seems to be that, no, that's the game. Although I haven't yet played Stormlands on the Rift S or the uh, the Rift CV1 to do a direct well, comparison as the, you know the game's not out um, right it's not out i wonder no. if you did yeah, do you did asgard's wrath on uh, a tethered i did that on the rift quest, s right or was it a rift uh, s I oh you done on the rift, rift s, s. Okay. unfortunately um it wasn't one to one um the weight on those was insane um and the weights in general were insane and we can we can we'll we'll touch on that i'm sure but i wonder if maybe the oculus link sort of reversal of course is that um you know, wireless was a little bit more hard to nail down than they had initially thought. Because um, I know everyone right. was I calling mean, for it. And there are some streaming yeah. solutions out there. But, I mean, they're they're obviously not as good as something home-rolled from, from Oculus themselves that Carmack maybe was putting input on. Right. I mean, I've, I've used, you know, a few uh, sideload virtual desktop to SideQuest uh, and then patch it. Uh, there's a mode that will allow you to uh, stream from uh, Steam okay. into the, the headset, and uh, that's completely wireless. And I've done that, uh, and the, I mean, I did it in almost lab perfect conditions. I mean, on a, a dedicated high speed router where the only two things on it were the the computer and the headset, uh, sitting you know just feet from from each other. And from the headset. So it was about as good as you could get. And it was okay. Uh, you know, as long as, you know, you weren't, it wasn't something like super visually complex. And as long as you weren't moving super fast, it was okay. Um, but it, it definitely was laggier in, in significant ways. And sometimes you got some compression that was very visible. Uh, so, but I mean, that was, uh, you know, an entirely sort of aftermarket solution. It wasn't doing any reprojection on the headset or anything like that. So, uh, I'm hoping that they can take everything they've learned from this tethered option and, and land on something that's at least significantly better than what we were seeing with virtual desktop. Well, I mean, I really think that the important thing to take away is that they see the success of a wireless headset they see the adoption rate and the uptick that's happening with a quest and they see the the success rate of sales that are happening with ips that are either adopting the quest and like repurposing their their experiences specifically for the quest or are bringing out new content that's for the quest and so i think it's almost like a way to bring 
people that have been developing high level quality content that is very demanding and making it accessible on the mobile platform. Because generally speaking, a lot of people aren't going to buy um, either the Rift with multiple cameras or a Rift S and be tethered all the time, right? So right. I think having this as an option makes all that content uh, a lot more widespread. Well, I think, I mean, I think you may be spot on on, on the, the content side of things because the the quest is selling phenomenally well so much better than the the desktop based stuff um and you notice that they're starting they've made adjustments now so that the the library at least a subset of the library for the go is now available on the quest and now via tethering the desktop stuff available via the quest if the quest is the one that's selling like crazy you want as much content to be available for sale on it as possible and i think they're starting to realize that that's going to be their bread and butter. The quest is what's going to pay the bills and is what most people are going to buy. And if they can support all of the software that's being developed for their ecosystem on that one device, then it seems silly not to. Well, and if you're a betting man and and talking about uh, technology in the long run, right? I mean, everything is shrinking. It's obvious to anybody, even non-technophiles, that eventually everything is going to be in almost... A mobile platform. I mean, there there will uh, you know there's a tool for every job. Of course, there will always be a, a, a room for a heavy hitter desktop powered solution. But for the mass populace and even for VR consumption, we'll we will hit a point that the technology will be nimble enough and power efficient enough, and new batteries will come out and all these things that will put us in a place where you'll have you know, the 3080 RTX equivalent or, or what have you in, in a headset that's tether, uh, tetherless and uh, completely free of, of uh, any restraints. And that's the, that's, that's, that's where that's we want to go. Right. I mean, yeah, you don't want to, nobody wants to be tethered to the desktop. Nobody wants to have to deal with cables and, and, you know, desktop GPU drivers and all these things. I mean, you want a solution that you can throw in a backpack, take anywhere and get desktop class gaming. And uh, they've been clear that that's what they want, uh, but we're we're solidly at least you know a generation or two, at least away from that. Um, but that that does bring up the question of what does their roadmap look like? And I'm I'm wondering if they're rethinking the roadmap because they were, you know, in past years saying that they had three tiers. They had the the go primarily for media consumption. You have the quest for you know kind of the the sort of general gaming population, and then the the rift for high-end uh desktop class gaming and i'm wondering if they're angling a little harder towards you know everything being in the quest form factor it's going to be interesting to see on their next generation if we get you know a true rift 2 that's if if they continue to have the rift as a separate line they're really going to have to step up the the differentiation in in quality between uh, the the rift and the quest because it, it will have to justify its existence right now there's, you can certainly make a case for the the Rift S, uh, primarily, you know, comfort and you know the one extra tracking camera and a slightly higher frame rate. But I mean, these are all fairly subtle differences. You know, right now for the same price, you can get the Quest, which is you know functions completely standalone and can play desktop content, 
and is using OLEDs and has adjustable IPD. You know, there's a lot of these things that were corners that were cut on the uh, the Rift S that aren't cut there. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're at least kind of reaching some trade-offs and some parity. Uh, if the Rift 2 is, is going to continue to have a meaningful existence, it will need to provide a, an entirely new class of experience to, to differentiate itself from the Quest. Right, and they didn't talk about hand tracking on the Rift S. They talked about hand tracking on the Quest. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure it'll be on both, but so, yeah, that was their focus. Kevin, you've been kind of quiet to this point, and you're actually the only one of us who wasn't at Oculus yep. Connect. So given the conversation, do you think we'll actually see a Rift 2? And, and if we do, what will it look like? Are we are we looking down the barrel of, of a sort of merged future where there's just the, you know, the, the whatever the new name, maybe they'll abandon the name Rift and go with something more... Um, you know, for brand sake, they'll come up with something else, the Rift Fu- or the Oculus Fusion, and it'll be a, a, a combo headset that does both. Or do you think we're actually going to keep the, the, you know, the desktop class and the, the mobile class? Yeah, so I, I think it's really hard to say right now what's going to happen. Um, kind of like Eric was saying, uh, the... Rift S is going to have to really set itself apart over the Quest because as of right now, as soon as they announced Link, I really didn't see any purpose of of getting the, the Rift S. And now you said, though, William, that uh, it didn't quite live up to the same. Uh, the, the, the Quest didn't really quite live up to the same as as the the rift s but uh, again do you think that was more of uh possibly you know link just being new or more of these games still haven't quite uh, at that time they were still being worked on uh well and stormlands still is currently right and asgard uh just came out not too long ago right i i think that what we saw at Oculus Connect is by and large the product that we're going to get launched. Um, it's given that Link launches in November, you know, from September to November is a very tight window to make major changes. Um, software patches, sure, but, you know, not, not really any major changes I don't think are going to happen. Um, I don't know. That's the thing is because the lines were so long and because the demos were so few this year, it was really difficult to get a grasp of any one particular thing outside of, you know, the, the sort of given demo in previous years, you, you know, at Oculus connect three, which, uh, was my first connect and was actually my, we were able to get hands on and actually spend real time with the rift and the touch, um, before those launched. Uh, well, the, the Rift had launched, I believe, but the Touch had not yet. Um, and so we were actually able to spend real time with the Touch before it launched. And there were everything used it, basically. And so you were pretty much able to, yeah. to get a good feel for what that product was going to be. And unfortunately, because of the fact that they were limiting demos, um, not necessarily limiting demos, but there were so many people and there were only f- a, a few demos that were actually using the link. Um, it was really yeah. hard to kind of get your 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 sea legs, if you will, um, on what the link is really going to be like in everyday practice. Now, once it comes out, I think we'll get a much better 
um, understanding of what it's going to look like. And of course, post-launch, there's always the ability to do software mm-hmm. patches and hardware revisions down the line that, that may fix some issues. I think it's a perfectly viable option. Um, but it struck me as, I mean, as I said, I only got to try it on one title and I definitely wish I could have tried it on multiples for comparison. Uh, assuming that that slight vignetting issue on Stormlands was the software, like they claimed, uh, the rest of it struck me as good enough. And I'm I'm pretty snobby about you know quality in VR. Uh, the but I'm I'm warming to there being some reasonable trade offs for usability and comfort and so forth. And it struck me as good enough. But I'm I'm going to be curious once we. What I'd like to do is get a Rift S and a Quest and side set them side. side by side, running the same thing, and and just go a a b test it and right. get a sense of it. But uh, we won't be able to do that till November. You mentioned uh, hand tracking. Let's go ahead and dive into that. Cause, uh, I don't want to yeah. spend the entire time on Link. Um, that was. Uh, a bit of a surprise, and it's certainly something uh, you know, uh, con- controlless or uh, trackerless hand tracking is something that's been very much desired for a long time. You know, there were a lot of us who were slapping uh, leap motions on the front of our you know developer kits, myself included, to do hand tracking, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and so let's let's talk a little bit about that because there are some pros and cons to the way they did it, and um, let's so. Josh, did you actually get to do the hand tracking demo? Uh, I I did not, but I have spent okay, well, a lot then. of time with uh, hand tracking, both through different mechanisms, where you're, whether you're wearing gloves, whether you're developing for the leap, um, right. whether you're using pure optical, um, or back in the days when you were hacking together a connect. Um, I think one of the biggest points to to take away from their announcement for hand tracking that immediately after that they were like hey and we also acquired control labs which is this bracelet that you wear that tracks your hand and wrist tendon movement to make tracking of your fingers better because what we're doing is we're taking something that's already technically taxed hardware wise um by tracking the controllers and everything else and we're adding on top of that trying to track you know bone uh and 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 finger movement and all these different things so well they did say they did come out and say that uh maybe it was carmack that said it during the keynote or it was it was after the fact but i did see a report saying uh doing the hand tracking adding that into insight was computationally minimal like it, it it added almost nothing to the t- to the taxation of the system, right? I've, I've seen a number that it knocks about seven minutes off the runtime. Yeah, I think that's. Battery. I saw similar articles. Like yeah. it, it's not adding too much to the to the di- to the difficulty considering what Insights already doing. Sure, but when you're on a Snapdragon eight thirty five, right? You're already generations yeah. back. Every sing- like everything that Carmack talks about, every- everything that all the developers and, and engineers at, at Oculus talk about is making sure that you're min maxing. Every single corner, every edge case, everything across the board, but they're adding in an extra amount of overhead. So I think it absolutely makes sense to have something like Control Labs. I think it it makes sense to add in a periphery that allows you to uh, augment the ability to track finger movement. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in and kind of take a slightly contrary view to Josh on on this. I actually think, at least partially because of the fact this is this is kind of a hacked in or tacked on feature. This is the the 
placement of the cameras, the fact they're using 30 frame per second cameras and so forth, none of that's conducive to doing really high quality hand tracking. You've got a, a limited field of view for the tracking. Uh, you don't get good stereo overlap in the middle. There's there's all sorts of things. This feels to me, at least in its current iteration, like a niche use. For example, uh, media consumption. Just the ability to put it on and swipe through Netflix and, and pick stuff without having to, to dig out the controllers. Or for, for certain limited cases on you know training. Uh, I think for most experiences, the fact that there's, there's probably a good, what, half second lag, you'd say, William? I mean... There's not there's there's a little bit of a lag, but I I, yeah. I mean not to interrupt, but I I would take the even less I guess popular opinion compared to some of the people at Connect, which is does it really matter? Hmm. Because <laughs> I am one of those people who had Elite Motion strapped to the front of my Oculus, you know, before the CV one came out, and the limited number of things that actually utilized it. I, now you make a good point. Netflix that like the the VR Netflix app if they had a the ability for you to like hold your hands out in front of you and resize your 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 TV or um you know yeah. swipe through the menus without having to like fumble for the controllers it certainly makes it easier cuz right now I do know that one of the main uses for the go is media consumption and if you can make that easier right. on the quest by not having to set up your guardian, not having to do all these things and being able to just like swipe that away, fire up Netflix and poke the show you want to watch, then then it's useful, at least in that regard. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like, OK, if it's not implemented in a really meaningful way, it just it's still that hollow. I'm poking at buttons and it, I'm getting no feedback and yeah. it just I, feels I'll, wrong. I'm not a huge fan of completely controllerless interactions because there's there is no tactile feedback there's no it's it's a lot of i call it like a poke through interface you're poking through buttons and there's there's something unsatisfying about that um i i get that there's a, a huge convenience factor for certain things and i think for media consumption if i were just putting it on to watch netflix i probably would just you know use the hand tracking as opposed to to you know strapping controllers to my i hand. think that's the most important thing i, I mean honestly when the, yeah. when when you look at it from a business perspective, from an industry-wide perspective, from an, an, an adoption initiative, right? If you're looking to get a billion heads and headsets, the most important thing to you is price and uh, ease of use and, and getting into VR as seamless as possible. Removing every instance of a barrier that is seemed as a nuisance at any level to anybody and you you know they've spent countless dollars on focus groups and study groups and research on understanding what stops a person from throwing on a headset and jumping into vr and spending more time and i think yeah. very much so having to find controllers having to make sure that they're charged dealing with them when they're when the batteries are dead and losing tracking and, and dealing with all those things i think having Built-in hand tracking is absolutely a necessary feature moving forward. But here's the here's the thing. You, you make a good point of like, oh, well, what if your controllers aren't charged? Well, if you're wanting to hop in and play games and your controllers aren't charged, you're still going to end up taking the headset off even if there's hand tracking. You're, you're not going to suddenly decide, well, I really wanted to play something, but... Because uh, the Quest controllers don't charge. They have batteries. It's It's 
trivial to swap them out, yes, but the point is, you're not going to suddenly go, oh, well, I still have hand tracking, I guess I can just watch Netflix and spend the next two hours doing that. No, you're going to stop, take the headset off, put the batteries in the controller, and jump back in. It, it, it eliminates a little bit of, of friction for media consumption or simple things that don't require the hand the controllers but the majority of content does and adding hand tracking in that instance doesn't really enhance the experience by and large it's going to be niche cases where that that's you know that's useful in at least in my opinion my hope is that they will use this generation's sort of hacky implementation to refine the tracking, to figure out, you know, useful paradigms, best use cases, and so on, so that when we get to the Quest 2, they actually implement it, you know, as you know, a design feature. This was, this was clearly tacked on. It was a, hey, I bet these cameras can do this too, as opposed to we're choosing these cameras and the placement and all these things. I mean, you would probably have, you know, some some dedicated silicon in there that that's doing the the pose tracking and so on to take that off the processor. And that, that wouldn't really be that expensive to do in mass. So I'm hoping that we see really good hand tracking in the Quest 2. And this just sort of is a, a proving ground uh, for that. I, I do think that for most games, people are still going to want to use the controllers. There may be some some casual games or games that are designed with, you know, gestures in mind where, you know, the, the controllers are optional or, or even, you know, bare hands are preferred. But I think for most gaming cases, you're still going to want to use the controllers. But for certain training cases or media consumption or just browsing, things like that might be completely fine i think the the one of the first slides in their their presentation was the next computing unit or the next yeah piece of computing or or, or something along those lines and it was i think that's that speaks to a, a much broader use case than just gaming i mean i think we spend a lot of time focusing on gaming because it's an obvious use case for vr and it, it drives adoption it drives sure. interest but i think overall if Again, going back to their push to have a billion heads and headsets, I I think just focusing on gaming is a, a, a little bit of, you know, not seeing the force for the trees because you need to understand that there is much more to a personal computer than just being the having the ability to play video games. And if we're trying right. to turn VR or XR into this next level, this evolution then it needs to be so seamless and, and frictionless that it it makes sense to do that, right? And I think uh, spending my days getting people in and out of, of VR and understanding the way people interpret it for their first time, for their second time, for their 10th time, the nth time, I, I really see that immersive technology allows people to interact with a digital medium in a more naturalistic way and the more okay, natural me, you, you let allow me jump people in to just it. a little bit on that let me jump in a little bit on that because they they keep pushing hand tracking as oh this is the more natural interface this is you know we use our hands for everything anyway and i agree with that but the problem is when we, when we use our hands it's a very tactile thing we're touching things we're feeling the weight of things when we push a button we feel the button we feel that button click and the trick is when you don't have that haptic feedback you either have to have this sort of hollow poke through interface that's uncomfortable or you end up resorting to gestures. And then you, as soon as you resort to gestures and are having to learn a, uh, and gestures can work very well, but the second you go to gestures, you've moved away from natural interaction anyway. You're, you're going with a, a, a learned 
you know, physical vocabulary. Uh, I do think that certainly the long-term goal is to just use hands wherever possible. The hard part is getting any sort of haptic feedback on that. And that's, I think, a ways further away from being a mass market. Thing. Right. And and that to that point, you know, re- explaining what you were talking about, Josh, I mean, yes, social VR is a, is a huge aspect. Oh, Training, yeah. media consumption, everything beyond gaming. Like, yes, hand tracking works for those. But the same challenges apply in those use cases by and large. You know, if I'm going to a social VR thing, I want to hop in and watch the like, the use case they did was like, oh, I want to hop in and watch the game with my dad in VR while I'm at work. Okay, sure. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to hop in and I probably won't need my hands. Uh, I can use them very little and, and that's fine. That's a perfect example of when it would be great to just be able to swipe in. Honestly, you wouldn't even swipe in because... You know they're using that deep linking thing. He sends the link to his son's phone. You click on it, and boom, you're in. You're at home with your dad. Right. But yeah, thank you for bringing up the the social uses. I talk with my hands right. all the time. I'm, I'm so very, that is I'm actually very huge. much the same. I'm doing it right now, even though this is an audio medium. But <laughs> me too. That's one of those situations where it's like, okay, in that instance, I can see that. Like socially, your hands being tracked, you can do that with controllers. But some of the things that people like to do and they showed off like in the Horizons demo was, okay, or in the Horizons video was, okay, fist bumps and, you know, all these other social interactions require some level of connection. Uh, I mean, like one of the first things people do in big screen or VR chat or things like that is like fist bump or high five or rec room, you know, right. and, and you need that little bit of like haptic feedback. Um, to really sell it. Is it viable without it? Absolutely. It, it, yeah. It's still yeah. there, but it sells it so much more. And and I'd like to see something from Control, you know, in using that to enhance the the tracking, but also adding in some form of, of haptic feedback that that may solve that. You know, instead, you know, I can see a future in five, 10 years where instead of grabbing a couple controllers, you slip on a couple wristbands and those handle the haptic feedback for you. They, you know, they... They just really, whether it's tens, they're like shocking your muscles, or which is unlikely, <laughs> but uh, or they're just really hammering it home with those with those haptic uh, rumble units on your wrist to like really sell. Like, yeah, you just got a high five, and you can feel it in your wrist. So you know your brain takes that level of abstraction away. Um, Let me throw in one more one more kind of left field go ahead. angle before we move on to to one of the other topics. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of. The, the kind of blurry space between AR and, and VR, uh, you know, things like pass through AR and so on. Uh, Abrash was really pushing, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we get to his his keynote, uh, productivity uses, sort of office uses. And that kind of, you know, touches on some of Josh's, hey, there's a much broader world here than just gaming. If I am able to see my hands and see my keyboard and see my coffee cup by way of pass through or by way of reskinning the the real world, then I do get the haptics. I do, right. when I put my hand on the keyboard, I feel the keys. When I put my hand around the, the handle of the coffee mug, I feel that. And in that case, natural hand tracking becomes extremely attractive right. to me. And, and I think an extremely good use case. I think it's a good and I'm, step. I'm really hoping we will, yeah, I'm hoping we will start seeing things in that direction. I think, just like what you were just about to say, William, is the, the, the step, right? Step in the right direction. I think it's a, a lot of about the VR industry that, we have to remember is that it's a race to first. It's a, a first to market, first to proving something works, the the stickiness of, of a product uh, feature, right? There's a lot of focus on 
interactivity of of naturalistic uh, interaction. Um, Carmack talked about how the silicon coming down the line is going to be able to handle something like 13 different camera inputs simultaneously, right? So there's definitely a focus on being able to track a lot of different data points, a lot of different movement in very unique ways. I mean, Vario just came out um, with their, or just announced, I guess, their their VR2 Pro that has uh, next generation Leap Motion built into the HMD. The the Vive Link, uh, the uh, Vive Valve Index has the, the frunk, right? It has the, the option of putting something there to do tracking. It seems like every manufacturer is leaning into the ability to either track hands or bring your hands closer. I mean, whether it's the knuckles or giving capacitive uh, touch uh, indication or near field detection of where your fingers are. It's, I think it's proof positive that the more immersed we are in the experience, whether it's at a minimal level as a gradient all the way up to completely and fully immersed, um, the, the more we believe it, the less we doubt what we're doing and the more we end up spending time in VR. But I can't wait for the future because the time is now. Time is now, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're so right, William. Uh, I think that's been very, very, very much made clear. Let's let's hit a couple of the other, you know, kind of big ticket items. Uh, one that <laughs> I think had maybe a, a narrower response in the audience than I'd hoped was uh, Oculus for Business is actually starting to be a real thing as opposed to just a, a package and a new warranty. They're starting to add features that you will need if you're using uh, Oculus products in a, a business setting where you're putting people in training or things like that. There's a lot of uh, points of friction currently. You're having to walk people through, you know, setting up the guardian boundaries and then selecting something from a menu when what you really want to do is hand them the headset, have them put on it, put it on and drop directly into the training experience and things like that. Um, we probably don't have time to dive into, you know, all the the things that they're building and the things that we hope they're building that may be a topic for another time but i do want to say that i'm excited that oculus is finally taking business uses seriously and and actually starting to produce real work that is going to make our lives easier in using it for non-gaming purposes yeah key features are really multiple device provision um device lockdown being able to set a particular experience for a headset and then uh, device management. Those are, those are some of the main features of that program. And, and, you know, like you said, there's a lot that it seems like they're going to be moving towards in the future, but it's at least comforting and, and good to know that they understand that these headsets are being used in an enterprise, as, uh, in an enterprise um, environments, and they're going to be providing the tools to customers to be able to utilize that it's going to cost you a lot more because i think it's about six hundred dollars more uh but yes it is is going to be a a viable uh option for solution providers um you know third party uh you know content providers who who are looking to roll out you know 10 devices at a location on a specific experience um schools 
you know, libraries will be able to better manage multiple devices at once without having to to do the, you know, oh, okay, well, hold on, you know, click here, do this, do that. So that's good to know. Well, yeah. I can say for a certainty um, that businesses need more TLC. They need more hands-on right. support. Yes. They need an extra level of attentiveness and with all that comes a cost so i'm ecstatic that uh they're hiring more for a focus on business that they're thinking more about that process i mean by and large years past they've been like sure vr and business is a thing that exists yeah a couple and, of years you know, ago we asked okay who's in charge of this and they're like we literally don't know they kind of just announced this and told us to stand here so yeah <laughs> but this year <laughs> to they be had clear, it's still a, a small department yeah but, it is, right it is. but this year they had johnson and johnson up on stage right talking about uh surgical yeah. training right and and their use case of how they put people through um a lab environment for training on I think it was knee surgery and how 0% of it was knee replacement. 0% of people <laughs> was, uh, were able to get through and pass muster after the traditional methods, but 83% of the people that did VR training were actually able to successfully have some semblance of, of competency um, yeah, coming with, out of the training. Minimal help. Right. Right. So th those kinds of things show the efficacy of VR again, beyond gaming, beyond just traditional, like, I'm going to watch Netflix. There's there's such a wide field of, of use case, and I, I deal with this every day from, from my day job. And so I, I more competition from, from more manufacturers spending more time and effort to support enterprise is going to be a great boon to the wide world of XR. To be clear, I gave them a, a laundry list as long as my arm of things that I wanted their, their business interface to be doing that it wasn't yet. But I am in no way disrespecting the fact that they are actually making real strides and they're hitting some of the, the top priority items that uh, we desperately need. And this is a huge departure from, from where they've been in the past. I, I would love it if they stepped it up to the point that, say, HTC was being supportive of businesses in the past couple of years. But... Um, at least the trajectory is going in the right direction. So which of you did the Quest Mixed Reality demo? <laughs> and I use that term very loosely, I know. Oh, God. Um, I watched it from the outside. I did not participate. <laughs> and my, my reason for not participating was that it looked fairly awful. Okay. Um, at least, I mean, and these are things that may improve with um, you know, kind of iterating the software. But I mean, I think this this may be one of those tacked on features that's a step too far. I mean, this, it wasn't designed around this. It wasn't designed for this. This is asking a lot of a mobile processor to render an additional viewport uh, and to do, they're, they're not even using you know, a green screen or blue screen. They're, they're doing kind of real-time culling, I guess, based on the depth data, uh, which has got pros and cons. But the Right, there was definitely some chopping. So to be clear, we're, we're talking about the, the mixed reality capture feature that they were talking about, which is largely just pointing an iPad at the person playing the Quest or potentially using another uh, piece of hardware. They weren't particularly clear on that. But the demo was literally right. just, hey, watch our staff play these games while you walk around them with an iPad showing the same <laughs> thing that we were showing basically last year, except this time we'll let you hold the iPad. 
Um, I I will note that in a uh, an expo floor where people were waiting two and three hours in lines that wrapped around, uh, there were often no lines whatsoever for the, the mixed reality. I mean, it was the demo was that uh, unexciting. Um, it seemed choppy. The frame rate was low. the The quality of the uh, the cutout of the person from the background was fairly poor you got a lot of kind of background bleeding in along the edges um i don't know i i just unless they they really pull a rabbit out of their hat that none of that looked like something that is going to see much real world use uh, does anybody have a, a significantly different takeaway on that I, I think we have another use of first to market uh rush right it's just right we we want to push to I say guess. that we we are capable of doing something as we see the trends pushing towards this way in the market and we're going to show that this is something we're working on this is something we're working towards and we hope that it will be capable full featured in the future yeah maybe maybe it's just aspirational it's it is worth taking a moment to note that this is almost a 180 reversal from the traditional oculus philosophy Oculus always took a more Apple approach of we don't have to be first. We just want to be best. I mean, the touch controllers lagged the Vive wand significantly, but they were phenomenal. Uh, They were willing to wait the extra time to really get the polish and refinement and everything. They took their time getting the the rift out the door. Uh, Whereas, and, and it was a work of art. It was a beautiful piece of hardware. Whereas you saw, you know, the, the valve ecosystem, the, the cable that shipped with the original Valve was possibly one of the worst cables ever manufactured. It was clunky. It coiled up on itself. It was heavy. Uh, and they pushed it out the door, and then they pushed a better one out the door, and then they pushed a better head strap out the door. They iterated like crazy. And they were more of the, you know, let's get this first market, and then we'll just make it work better later. Whereas Oculus was, we'll take our time. We'll, we'll come out later and more refined. So these whole, like, oh, we're going to push out kind of slightly half-assed hand-tracking you know, ahead of the curve, or we're going to push out this sort of crappy mixed reality to be ahead of the curve is kind of a, a change of course for them. But how much how much market share do you think that Oculus lost by not having um, the touch controllers out the same time that the, the wands were out? At least for a while, they, they lost significantly. But as soon as the, the touch controllers came out, people tended to like them significantly better than the Vive wands, and Oculus started eating that market share back up. Right. Sure, uh, I think what I'm more going after is the the chicken or the egg problem that that yeah. XR is is rife with is that um, you need content to to drive adoption and if you don't have compelling uh, interaction with with the experiences then developers aren't driven to develop that content and so I think a lot uh-huh. of developers pivoted towards doing Vive specifically because yeah. the ones were available. Yeah, and, and they were just more open in general. I mean, you see a lot of stuff on the Oculus ecosystem, like, you know, being able to play with pass-through video that they haven't opened up to developers or to, to play games with, you know, extending the Guardian or, you know, mapping over real-world objects. Uh, to be clear, I'm actually a fan of push it out and iterate, um, but I did like that there was sort of a balance, that there was one side that was trying to get things out as fast as possible and iterate. And then another one that was trying to make it as polished as possible. And I thought that was sort of a, a yin and yang and everybody won in the end. But um, it is, I feel, a uh, and, and maybe it's due to all the shakeup and leadership, uh, a, a change in the way Oculus is choosing to interact with the market. But I am glad that they're getting hand tracking out there and so on, because I do think that that will 
help them produce a, a significantly better true first release on the the Gen Two. So let's take a minute. Let's take a minute to talk about <laughs> Eric's absolute favorite part of Oculus Connect every year, <laughs> and that's Michael Abrash's keynote where he talks about the bright future of VR and what we're looking at and how long we have to wait. That yeah, I would literally fly all the way out to San Jose just to watch his keynote in person, which is slightly crazy because it's available, you know, for streaming. But in past years, it has always been kind of the gold standard. It's, you know, somebody who has essentially unlimited funds, a pure science lab, is playing with all the latest prototypes, sees all the stuff that we're not allowed to see yet, and can give us a, a real glimpse of where things are going and what the timelines look like. And I'm always super excited to see, okay, this looks like it's on a three-year time horizon or a five-year time horizon. And he really gets down to the tech way more than, than most people do. It's, it's typically phenomenal. If you look back at the his Oculus Connect 3 keynote and then his follow-up at 5, um, those two things together are almost sort of foundational documents in video form of what Gen 2 is going to look like. This year, his keynote was not, well, I mean, I guess maybe it still was, you know, given how disappointing the conference was in general, but it was, uh, it was depressing. He looked depressed, uh, and it seemed like his entire message was, you know, we're going to get this stuff, but don't get your hopes up about getting it anytime soon. It'll be a while. But they're building AR glasses, Eric. Yeah, they gave that one whole sentence. Um, I I actually have a picture (laughs) of, of, of that, those words on screen, because they're the only thing that they really talked about. <laughs> they were like, we are that building was... AR glasses. And then they just, m- meanwhile, back in the Hall of Justice, we're going to talk about yeah. <laughs> nothing to do with that statement. Was... Like Everybody is like clapping yeah. and cheering for that statement. And then they're like, but anyways, about the VR. <laughs> which Yeah, well, we all expected there to be a, a second and third sentence after and... that that continued. But yeah, but no... And, and Abrash didn't touch on that much, although, I mean, I will say he did draft out a sort of a, his, his business use case that was this vision for how sort of a mixed reality office would work, uh, which I thought was a phenomenal benchmark for, okay, if you, can, if you can make this use case work completely, you've landed on a new platform. And I, I think that's a wonderful benchmark to set and work towards, but... I mean, he really didn't touch on a lot of the tech, with the exception of the verifocal um, displays, which look like they're making phenomenal progress on. But there's there's clearly either a bottleneck with some piece of the tech, maybe the foveated rendering and eye tracking, I don't know, uh, or the the business case has caused them to shift their timeline, and they're wanting to push Gen 2 further out for other reasons. Maybe... Maybe it was, oh, oh we're going to have Gen 2 as a desktop component. No, really, we want Gen 2 to be a standalone, and that's going to take a couple more years. I don't know. But he came out looking sort of defeated, and you know he said, you're, you're going to have to wait longer for it. And then, and then he literally said, the time is now. Yeah. <laughs> that's us where it was like this sort of this depressing coda. And it was like, you know, use what's there because it's what you got. Right. But, you know, I Which, think it's promising in the sense that Last year, they were talking about Half Dome 1, and this year, they're yeah. talking about Half Dome 2. They they went through an entire prototype three and three, yeah. revision. And, and three, sure. Um, yeah. they, they've gone through a, a serious amount of R&D to 
really get it right. Like it goes back to what you're saying, Eric, that at, at least there seems to be a core tenant with at least some cadre of people still there at, at Oculus that is saying, we're going to hack at this until it's done right. And it's just going to change the landscape. And that's why we're here. And that's great. Except for the fact yeah. that he literally ended his speech with, and this thing that I've been referencing as my as my baseline, which was I think the Palo Alto machine at the Xerox, yeah, uh, campus way back when. He's like, and it never became a product, which alluded to the idea that yeah, the things I'm working on, you may never ever actually get your hands on them, and that's okay. The time is now. Don't wait. <laughs> Go jump in. <laughs> which was just the most depressing that... way to end that keynote. And, I, and, I, and then they're like, yeah, go do demos. <laughs> yeah, I, I came out so incredibly depressed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I am, look, I am completely grateful that there is a pure science lab with deep pockets that's solving the hard problems because somebody's got to do it. And that's always been kind of Palmer Lucky's, you know, statement, even though he got screwed over and even though there were a lot of negatives to selling to Facebook he said it was the right choice for VR. And I think he's absolutely correct because it took a company that big and that ambitious to throw the money and the effort at getting past some of these hard problems. So I'm glad that they're getting solved. Uh, I am a little sad that it seems like they're going to get solved in a more uh, closed door behind the scenes way until they decide the time is right to come out with a, a next generation which it sounds like because i mean originally it looked like you know i guess when it was at oc3 they were kind of saying like 2021 2022 and then last year he was saying maybe it's going to slip by a year right beyond that and then suddenly he was not even giving dates and it's just like oh wow okay so you know that means it's you know, at least 2023 2024 which is a, a long time when when you're excited about you know, this next thing on the horizon and you're wanting it to be here now. So, well, I think it's, I think we need to, to just take a, take a beat though and, and make sure that we come off as we are very, <laughs> I think we're all in this, in this podcast here. We're very appreciative of the R and D and the countless hours of hard work that all of these companies, not just Oculus, but everyone across the board has yeah. been doing to make these things a reality i mean the the fact that they've gone from you know back when palmer lucky is throwing stuff together and and all these uh people over the past decades have been pushing to make uh virtual reality something that is accessible where we sit today and where we stand to gain in the next couple of years i think is absolutely phenomenal we've definitely hit a a, a point in technology where i mean i think they even talked about it last year where the the uh, innovation that happens with a lot of these tech mediums like they're already operating on bleeding edge um uh, margins with how much they're pulling out of this technology so the idea that we're going to see these giant leaps forward i think uh might be asking too much of how we can change the way the technology happens and especially from a business standpoint right i mean sure they could give us everything that they're doing in r d but if they didn't have an iterative process that accounts for and pays the bills and makes sure that they have 
a steady rollout and something that gives the consumer a reason that they want to buy things uh, over time, then you can go too quick. You can go too big too fast. And then you end up with an even bigger gap. And then you can peter out, you know, the the candle that burns brightest um, burns quickest, right? So there's a lot of different factors to go in into all this. And I I just want to say that I think where we sit right now and what we stand to gain in the next, um, let's say 18 months is, is a pretty bright future. I mean, the, the time is now ish. I, th- I think the time will be, I, well, the time is now ish. I like that, but I think we're honestly going to see a longer development cycle than that to be perfectly honest. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of bantered a bit about it back and forth about, you know, is it going to be, um, you know, the mobile phone cycle where we're getting a new device every two years. And what's the real point of that? Because, you know, it, there's not enough changing. And and from a consumer aspect, I would hate that. I would hate for there to be a new headset every two years. It would just be awful because I buy every one of right. these damn headsets and I'm going to spend <laughs> way too much money. But, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the sort of uh, console life cycle, you know, six or eight years of of uh of content and of, of actually you know use on that i'd like to see it a little bit shorter maybe closer to four but you know i think that's what we're gonna see long term before actual major jumps in tech um you know but yeah no i i agree obviously i'm super appreciative and i like i love that there are companies with especially with the deep pockets like uh facebook has pushing this and you know, Michael Abrash's team is doing incredible R and D work. And I think the next version of Rift yeah. that we do get that does have a lot of these new features in is going to be absolutely phenomenal and will be a light, you know, a, a huge step forward. Um, I, I'm with you that I, I think four four maybe five years would be kind of my preferred right. cycle. I, I suspect we're going to see something more like seven. Um, I, I think part of the reason I'm, a little down about this is that a lot of the things that I'm most excited about in VR that I feel like have the most potential require features that won't be there until the next generation. Uh, I think that VR has huge potential for social uses and for empathy building and so on. And that's going to require eye tracking, face tracking, body tracking, so that you can invest in a different body or so that you really feel like you're present with someone. Uh, and these are things that I feel like we could get sooner if it weren't for the sort of business case for holding back a ways. So I'm a little frustrated with that, although I, I do understand the business case and the sort of consumer comfort case for having a longer dev cycle. But uh, I'm not getting any younger, <laughs> and I'd, uh, I'd like to have these things as soon as I so can. So what you're so. saying is you don't want to wait longer. The time is now. Give you the new headset. The time is now. So I know. Okay, I, so um, well, I, speaking right. of now, go ahead, well, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, well, I, I was I was just gonna say uh, to to maybe kind of wrap this up. Um, so, what do y'all think it is going to be the time of when we actually see the next 2.0 headset? Because you know we, we all pretty much agree that right now, like with the Index, the Quest, the Rift S, you know, it's it's really more of a of a 1.5 reversion so when when do y'all think we'll yeah. really oh, yeah. see the next 2.0 headsets coming out um me personally i'm thinking probably mid to late 2021 is when we might see the next real big bump that but, early but what do y'all oh. think eric 
I'm I am now more pessimistic based on what they're saying. However, I see two paths. One is that Oculus moves at the pace that they're wanting to move and are trying to kind of push towards like a seven or eight year cycle uh, to build their their base before jumping. Uh, in which case it could you know be 2023, 2024, or they get their hand forced by another company. And that's what's happened in the past. I mean, it's like, you know, they were saying, oh, it's a seated experience only until Vive came out and said room scale. And then suddenly they're, yeah, you're right, room scale. So, I mean, someone could force their hand and force them to market sooner. But I'm, I'm guessing maybe 2024. All right. I'd say 2023 2020, is pretty good estimation, yeah. I think. That gives you that seven-year cycle from the original Rift launch in 2016. Yeah. I think Christmas 2023 is probably when we'll see a new headset. And it and if we do have that big of a gap, it'll be a, it'll be a substantial leap in tech. Oh, yeah. What, what about you, Josh? Well, my, my question... Uh, to the question, I guess, is what signifies uh, 2.0? Because Eric brought yeah, up a lot of good that's, points. That's in definitely that. a big part of um, um, right. If if you're looking for a 2.0, it, and it seems almost um, an obvious need, right? That you need a lot more tracking. It's not just about how many pixels can you throw in a screen, or uh, what's the field of view, or how are you tethered or untethered. It seems like an amalgamation of a lot of things that people are wanting to happen. And I think that's probably why Eric's um, forecast of 2023-24 is um, probably going to be on point. Because you're going to need to have a lot of things thrown together, working in concert in a seamless way that is, you know, all I can't say infallible, but... It is very simple and and low friction rate, but at the same time, you you have you know the Pico two uh, coming out with a, a, a wireless headset that's running on with I think uh, Snapdragon eight fifty five. You've got Vario coming out with uh, some amazing uh, pixel resolution and an eye tracking. You've got a lot of different players in the market that are pushing. Um, Pushing the major two competitors that are arguably in the market, you know, the 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 Vive and the Oculus. But to keep in um, mind, Vario and uh, to some degree Pimax and some of these other like enterprise focused headsets, those are not in the same ring as as the Rift by and large. They're not looking at those as oh we got to keep up with Vario. They're they're not even in the same radar. You're looking at closer. I, I think a 2.0 is honestly going to have to have. Um, I think a 2.0 would have the Verifocal setup that Michael Abrash talked about during the keynote, um, which would require eye tracking. It would have inside-out tracking, a la the Rift S slash Quest, likely have hand tracking integrated as well, just because, you know, add features, not remove them. Um, and some hardware revision in terms of input whether that's a, a touch 2.0 or or something like that and i think it's a possibility that we end up with a unified front headset wise you end up with you know a like i said a, a an oculus fusion or something like that that may be the future right. down the line and if that's the case then we're yeah we're definitely looking at 2023 but i don't think i agree that there are absolutely players that can push that hand but to the the idea sure. of like Vario or the Vive Pro or even the Index in some instances being the 
the thing that that pushes Oculus out the gate. I don't think that's the case. They're they are just given all the anecdotal information that we have from you know the quote unquote race to the bottom and and these other things and, and actually what we're seeing out of Oculus. I don't think we're going to be looking at a high end headset. Their goal is getting people in there, especially when you consider Oculus Horizons, where that absolutely depends upon a massive number of people jumping in and they're going to have to let the quest percolate on that. So, um, right. You know, as My, far as the question of what is, what does a 2.0 look like? Verifocal display, eye tracking, um, inside out tracking, and maybe the ability to be a convertible headset similar to the quest would be what who's 2.0 though, the Oculus 2.0 or the, the Oculus 2.0. Well, let's, let's say industry 2.0, and I'm going to I'm gonna go to the mat here and say that to me, 2.0 is not a spec bump. It is not higher res or faster processor. It's not an improvement on any existing paradigm. It's genuine. 2.0 is a clean break where you're doing things in that headset that were simply not possible. So we're, we're talking headset. next generation, not 2.0. We're talking the next generation. Well, no, I'm... Then. Well, I'm, I, that's that's what I'm see, saying as 2.0. Okay. You know, I'm I'm hoping that you know, like 2023, we see. I would like to see eye tracking and facial tracking. So that, I think that will make a huge difference in social uses, both for gaming and for just hanging out. Um, I think that, at least for me, that's that's kind of the the breaking point. If I can look in a mirror and see my expressions, or be sitting and playing cards with someone and and actually read their tells off of you know their expressions. Or hold a business meeting that's just as effective in VR because I can read someone's body language. That's something that's simply not possible in the current headset. So that's where I see as like a, a 2.0 jump. Well, that's I guess that's why I, I think you know it's important to differentiate, right? Because I think as a 2.0 for Oculus, you're definitely looking at uh, mid 2020s, right? Um, Industry wide, though, I think we're seeing a long term evolution. That's why I bring up Vario because their their recent announcement with the VR2 Pro that has a really high fidelity eye tracking and it has a, a next generation leap motion hand tracking built in. You have some of those next level indicators, right? You have not a one point five, yeah. a one point seven five, I guess. Or, right, <laughs> right. If we're talking about like what what's the standard for next gen, I think you hit right the nail on the head, Eric. All of those things are going to be necessary for us to consider something like a next generation of vr like the you know this was the era of you know blank and this is the new era um and i think all you know all the major players will come to bat with those features um and they'll come standard but until then like you mentioned josh we are going to see i i think a slow progression of adding some features here and there and i think the next oculus headset won't be a next generation leap it will be a step in that direction um to that end let's talk about today the time that is now um oh people are gonna hate this and some of some of (laughs) yeah oh we're we're starting off strong for the first episode um so the demos that were at oculus connect um the lines were insane it was bonkers. I waited an hour and a half and I sprinted to the Medal of Honor demo and I'm the only person I know who did it, um, including several uh, YouTube influencers. So that was kind of crazy to hear some things and we can talk about that in a minute. But um, so Stormlands, a few of us did that. 
uh, impressions. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I know you did it. Josh, did you get to play Stormlands? I got to stand and watch my friends play it. Does that help? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Eric, uh, your impressions yeah. as far as content? It, it was definitely beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the it was it was beautifully rendered. It looked like it was playing with some intriguing uh, mechanisms for having these sort of... You're, you're a damaged robot, so you're getting these flashbacks from the past, which actually had like a strong emotional component to them, which was really interesting. So I'm, I'm excited to play through it and see how the story plays out because it looks like a really interesting way of doing storytelling but i don't know as far as the i didn't get far enough into it to get a feel for how the gameplay would actually work and whether it would be satisfying right we only we only got about 15 minutes to play it um yeah and i think you actually got a little bit further than i did in that 15 minutes because i was kind of looking around and exploring the area a little bit more um so it's definitely an interesting title. It's one to look forward to. It launches in November, so that's one to keep an eye out for. Now, I got to try Asgard's Wrath there at the conference, but it has since launched. It is actually out today. If you want to go download it, you can. Um, it's on the Oculus Store. I don't know if that's an Oculus exclusive. I'd have to double check and see if it's on Steam, but um, you can get it in the Oculus Store. The bit that I did get to play was pretty fun. Uh, it was, you know, you're a, you play as this new god who uh, has to go and do these various things. Um, but the the demo started you out with this huge, you know, you're in this bright gold room and you walk across the Bifrost into uh, a portal. It's very uh, Thor esque, and you know, you kind of walk through this portal and all of a sudden you're in the sea and there's this these ships that are being destroyed and there's just giant sea monster that's attacking and this god is stabbing him with the uh with his sword and he throws you his sword and says you know finish the fight for me and so uh i got far enough to where i was able to kill the the sea monster um which was very fun i highly recommend the game it's beautiful it's stunning some of the other gameplay aspects i've seen are pretty interesting so it kind of melds multiple like first person combat Um, third person puzzle solving. Um, It's a very interesting game. So I I would recommend that as well. Uh, Eric, you got to try that canoe or kayak game. uh, Phantom. Yes. Phantom. Yeah. I was very uh, favorably surprised. I I did not uh, initially see the potential for kayak based stealth games, but it works really, really well. It turns out, I mean, kayak-based locomotion is actually really good in VR. It's very satisfying. And being able to model that really well where you could, you know, get some speed going and then jam the uh, the, the paddle in vertically to do a quick hard turn, things like that. And, I mean, you can build up speed and then you can coast almost silently, you know, just, uh, you know, past people in the dark. And um, the, the mechanics were good. Uh, I think it had some real potential. I, I mean, I'd want to play through a lot more of it to see if it kind of uh, ran out of steam. And I get the sense that it's going to have a fairly limited number of campaigns, but you may want to replay them in multiple ways. You know, one, it's like, you know, you get a, a badge for Rambo where you kill everyone on the level, whereas you get another badge where you get seen by no one and another badge where, I mean, there's there's different ways to go through it. So there may be some replay value that way, but um at the very least, the core mechanic of it worked really well for me, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, you also got to try, uh, I think, the knee surgery simulator, the Oso VR. Oh God! One, didn't you? <laughs> yes. I, I heard that yes. was a little unnerving. You know, I mean, it was very cartoony 
thank goodness. <laughs> but even with it being cartoony, uh, you know, taking a drill to someone's knee and then putting a rod in and hammering it all the way in and then putting a screw in and twisting it and watching the blood pour out. Um, I, I may well have come out of it capable in a technical sense of doing that but i also came out very very clear that that is not a career path i have any interest the more in. you know eric my knee creaks come over to my house and do some surgery please uh, i'm gonna all right let me that, bring a hammer honestly, and a long a metal rod we've never thought about is using uh <laughs> using it as a way to test students in high school like what's your aptitude yeah. are you are you cut out for being a doctor hammer away at this uh cartoony guy and see if it makes you squicked out well, or maybe, yeah. you know, getting over your initial uh, preconceived notions of what you're afraid of. I mean, maybe you sure. are yeah, squeamish maybe. about something up to the first 10 times you do something. But yeah, maybe if you got over that in a way, reason. yeah, maybe if you got right. over it, you were the next best doctor that ever existed. And now you had a tool to get past that initial uh, fear of the jump. So I will say, I kind of like that idea. Asgard's <laughs> Wrath um, is an exclusive, okay. um, and Upload VR quotes it as VR's best and most ambitious game yet. Yeah, I did hear it was a pretty big game, so it'll be interesting. I I, I yeah. did get it. Um, everyone at Oculus Connect got a free copy, so I will be trying it out. I'm, and hopefully, I'll be able to report back uh, sometime soon. Um, Josh, you got to try some of the other enterprise aspects. I know there was like a State Farm insurance quoting one and some others. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, they were technically VR experiences. <laughs> and that's what I will say. All right. Well, you heard it here. They're doing VR, sort of. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, I just, there was the the... For the amount of time, right? Because right. you have to you have to understand that in an enterprise training um, scenario, you have to follow a lot of rules. You have to right. move through a lot of motions, and so to distill something down to a show floor demonstration, it was very challenging. So I will give them that. Yeah. That being said, the demos seemed very lackluster. Um, I didn't walk away. Because I, I didn't do the knee surgery thing. Um, I did the other ones. And I didn't walk away learning really anything. Um, the, one what the, the one that sticks out in my mind the most was a box stacking demonstration. And um, it was not really representative of what it takes to move boxes off of a, a line and... and truly how to stack them appropriately um <laughs> i just i didn't feel like i walked away from it better trained which is why i'm reticent to say something like that because i i really i i know there are a plethora of experiences already out there for enterprise i, I didn't know why oculus chose to show these specific demos um other than maybe these companies approached Oculus and said, please put these out there because we'd like to show them off. Yeah. Because it just, they didn't speak to the the huge benefits of what VR can do for training and experience and getting over um, some of these hurdles that are incumbent on traditional modes of training. I, there are so many opportunities to showcase what VR can do and these experiences 
in my mind, did not portray that in a way. And it, that was obvious and indicative by the line that was there. I mean, Eric and I were able to basically run through the line six times in, in no time at all because there was really no no one sitting there uh, sitting there in line really interested in what was happening because they really didn't come off as compelling. Well, going from the line that y'all had <laughs> nobody in to the line that there was nobody in because there was no ability for anyone to actually get through the line, uh, Medal of Honor. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I actually got yes. to do the Medal of Honor demo. Um, I was one of the 128 people. Yeah. <laughs> We're planning a meetup. It's going to be awesome. Um, no. Uh, realistically, it's everything you expect of a Medal of Honor game. It, it's, you know, it's the World War II setting. You're. So you're you're fighting Nazis. You're fighting through the uh, the Gestapo headquarters to burn some documents. You're, you know, you're uh, reconfiguring a radio tower to allow you know U.S. forces to bomb a, a, a outpost. And um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, the other one was uh, you're participating in essentially this music based. Um, attack on soldiers that are occupying, I think, France um, it was the setting. So the last one is the only one I didn't get to spend a meaningful amount of time in because I actually ran out of my 30-minute demo. Um, I played through every every scenario I could, including the training scenario, and, and it goes about as you expect. Um, you can pull grenades off your chest, bite the pin, and throw them, and you know, do that. It's really fun. <laughs> um, the ripping the cap off of the 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 stick style um, gr- uh, grenades is 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 fun. Uh, it, it's it's exactly what it would what you'd expect. It's it's a first person shooter in VR. Um, it uses stick based movement, so that may or may not be comfortable for everyone. Um, but the pre alpha version that they showed was really polished and really well done. Uh, I've heard that they're going to have something like forty or fifty missions, um, and if that's the case, it's going to be well worth the cost, which would be somewhere around fifty to sixty dollars, from what I've been told. Um, What's the release date on that? They did not Nebulous give a release next date. Year? Um, I think they said coming twenty twenty, but I don't. They don't. Okay. They haven't actually given any hard information on this. That they. they did have a you know disclaimer on their pre-alpha gameplay um, during the demo, even though it did look fairly polished. So the last one was do more you, puzzle-based, which was kind of cool. Uh, what's that, Josh? Do you think that's going to drive people to buy VR? Do I think it'll drive people to buy VR? Um, maybe. Hardcore first-person shooter people or... Um, I'll be honest. They, they chose a profitable setting. World War II... Um, is probably one of the most profitable video game settings in video game history. Like there are countless games set in that era because it is such a glorified um, time period to to place stories in. So um, I think it may drive some people to buy VR, um, particularly some of the like older. Um, generation that plays first person shooters. I know my, my friend's grandfather plays first person shooters. He plays pretty much every World War II game that comes out to the point where he upgrades his computer in order to play some of them. And I think it's totally possible that he would do the same, um, or at the very least come over to my house and borrow my <laughs> gear to, <laughs> to try and play. Um, but like I said, it, it's good. It's a very good, uh, it was probably the most, um, 
the most well-done first-person shooter I've played. Um, now, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Onward or Pavlov, which are some of the most beloved first-person shooter games out there. Um, but it is well-polished. It is well-thought-out. It is a AAA title through and through. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be a game that sells VR 100%. And even if it does sell sell a headset, it won't be the only thing people play. There's so many good indie titles out there that, you know, they'll inevitably be drawn to that. So it was fun. It was awesome. Um, it was a good 30 minutes. I don't know that it was worth the hour and a half that I actually standed, stood there and waited, but I was the lucky one. Like I said, I sprinted from the second they opened the doors. I was on the side that was closest to the line and literally ran to the line and I still waited an hour and a half. So yeah, I think you got off lucky at an hour. Yeah. Um, they're, they pretty much closed the line off. I want to say like two minutes after the doors opened, um, because it was just, it was impossible. They, they warned everyone like, Hey, you're going to be waiting here at least two hours. So, um, it was, it was kind of nuts. So, so wrap up, what's everybody's one minute takeaway from, uh, from Oculus Connect 6. Kevin, how about you start out? Uh, yeah, so of, of course, kind of what we started with, to, to me, the big takeaway was Oculus Link. Uh, I, I think that's going to have a lot to do with, or, or showed us a lot of where Oculus is really going to start looking at how they're going to design their headsets from here on out. Um, definitely excited for... Uh, Medal of Honor. I'm a huge Medal of Honor fan. Uh, and it's good to see that they're getting more into the uh, business side. So de- definitely looking forward to that as well. Cool. Josh, what's your one minute takeaway? Uh, yeah, business. Hallelujah. <laughs> C- come on with it. Enough said. <laughs> um, I-, I really really truly cannot say that enough uh i I hope that they triple down the the efforts that they put in to what they show that they're going to do i mean i I love the the idea of the portal the the one-on-one um support and, and things that they're doing there i think generally um a lot of the innovations that they showcased are on point and i can't wait to see what OC7 brings us. Awesome. William, what's yours? So uh, my one minute takeaway would be, I hope there's an OC7. Um, <laughs> it's, like I said, the floor was empty. Everyone kind of got the feeling. I've listened to uh, you know, a few different coverage bits from OC6 and by and large, the impression was, man, it's a little scarce in here and it's kind of weird. And it just sort of the air of the conference was kind of weird. Um, and with the rumor that there may not be an Oculus Connect next year, it's kind of sad. Um, this is something that I've done and look forward to every year for the last four years. So I really hope they continue to do it. I'd hate to see it rolled into F8. Um, but that being said, um, it was a good conference. It's always a good conference. Tons of opportunity to, um, you know, meet people and talk about what's going on and bring the community together. So it was a good conference. I'm happy with where things are going. I just, I hope it continues. 
guess my one minute takeaway, uh, the, the two things that I really latched onto were there seems to be a, a convergence of focus on the quest with the, the Oculus Go emulation, bringing those titles to it and the Oculus Link, you know, tying it to the desktop. It feels like they're all in on the quest and that has become their focus. That's that's one big takeaway. Um, the other is that they're slow in their role. They're they're shifting their timeline out and they're not going to be as aggressive by getting new hardware out. I think they're going to grow their base. They're going to to really get it established and earn some money off of it before they dive into a true second generation. So those are my two big takeaways. But I will definitely second Josh's enthusiasm for the the business initiatives. I uh, I love that they're finally doing something, and I hope they push a lot harder into it. And very much with uh, William, I would be very genuinely sad if there wasn't an OC7. As much as Mac as I'm talking about OC6, it was only bad in a relative sense, given how good the, the previous conferences were. Uh, I'm still glad I went, and there was still a lot of cool stuff to be seen. Can I ask you guys, but before we finish this, um, assuming there's an OC7, um, would you guys pay extra for a Quest or equivalent headset that you got and when you arrived that was preloaded with self-destructing demos that you were able to do any of the demos without having to stand in three and a half hour lines. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. No, that was no very brainer. quick. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Given how bad the lines have gotten, if there was a way to like pay, you know, a certain amount to get a quest or something like that, or at the, at the very least be able to like pre-schedule things, I would do it in a heartbeat. Just because you spend so much yeah. time waiting in those lines, it's it's kind of crazy. You know, historically at, at past conferences, I've actually been kind of positive about the lines because everyone has to apply to get into this conference. You have to have some kind of you know VR credentials. So pretty much everyone you're standing next to is interesting, and since you're forced to stand next to each other, you might as well talk. So I've made a lot of good connections, a lot of good friendships, and learned a lot of things in line. That said, the lines were so bad this year that I would be willing to give most of that up <laughs> to not be standing on my feet, barely moving for hours on a, str- a stretch. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. The Virtually Relevant podcast is produced by the leaders and community members of Houston VR. Our team spends countless hours and resources to make sure we bring you the best content, the newest innovations, and create awesome events for our community. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a patron today and lending your support to ensure we are able to continue providing the content experiences you want. Visit patron.com forward slash Houston VR and become a member today.